Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SEO Unplugged podcast. I'm your host, Itamar Blauer, and today I'm joined with Helen Pollitt, who's a senior SEO manager that has a lot of experience in managing SEO teams, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. So, Helen, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. I've had a good day. I've had some good dinner and I'm ready to talk about managing SEO teams. Amazing. All right, let, let's let's start. So the first thing I wanted to kind of pick your brain about, uh, especially because you've kind of been in the SEO game for a while and you've managed SEO teams, but you've also built up teams on certain occasions. And I kind of want to get started with the hiring process because I feel like this is one of the most important parts of SEO uh, teams, especially because the industry now is quite saturated. Uh, there's a lot of demand at the moment for SEO. So in terms of the hiring process, how do you know, first of all, who you actually want on your team? And also, how would you then structure the interview process to accommodate that? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. I think, essentially, when you're looking to expand your team, or even looking to build a team from scratch, you need to understand where the current skill set lies within the team or the resources that you have to hand. So whether that be an agency that you're outsourcing to your freelancers you're working with, you need to understand exactly who you're trying to hire. Um, I've seen this happen a lot of times where companies just put out an advert for an SEO manager or an SEO specialist without really thinking much uh, deeper than that. Whereas I think you've got to take a bit of an inventory about the current team and where their skills are. Do you have someone who's incredibly good uh, technically and has a lot of uh, past experience working on technical SEO, maybe used to be a developer, that sort of thing? And actually what you're looking for is someone who can uh, complement that with more on-page optimization or digital PR skills, for instance. Do you have someone who's great at presenting and actually you uh, need someone who's a bit more of a sit back, deep thinker and just trying to work out exactly what is the skill set that you need to to round out your team and and that's something that can be quite difficult to do especially if you're a new manager because you might not know your team that well or you might have a bit of an understanding from a previous manager about where their skill set lies but actually you need to check that's that's correct so um that's really step number one um, and then you have to get to the tricky bit of actually hiring people <laughs> yeah and I, I think even with that and something that i i, I have seen uh, and I think is a big problem is that like you don't have to necessarily look at another company's SEO department and and say to yourself, okay, this you know they've got two link builders, they've got um, two tech SEOs. That's what we need in, in our company because it's kind of like the same as saying you know every SEO strategy is going to be different and every um, every website's going to be different. So really and truly every SEO department is going to be slightly different in terms of the people that you need and the kind of things that you need from those people. Because, I mean, it wouldn't make sense for a company that's uh, got massive brand awareness um, to suddenly start hiring a bunch of uh, outreach people and link builders and, and digital PRs because they that's not the kind of core of what they need. They're already super strong in that particular area. They might be needing more technical people because maybe they're trying to, I don't know, migrate the site or, or do something along those lines where you're going to need people who have the skills to do that. And I guess that's also because SEO is so broad that it's like 
there's so many different facets within it. So it's it's very it's almost impossible just to look at a company and be like, okay, I'm just going to copy and paste how they're set up and apply it to my situation because 99.9% of the times that's going to be a big mistake, right? Absolutely, exactly that. And no two companies are the same, no two websites are the same, no two verticals that those websites are working in, operating in are, are going to be the same. So you you need to really be very specific and assess your own team's needs, your own company's needs, and not look to others. I think it's um, it's something that agencies often do. They'll try and fill, oh, we need a tech, we need an on-page, we need a, a digital PR. That's what we need for our team, whereas they don't necessarily, a lot of companies do this, look beyond the SEO department, the SEO team, to what other types of, of skill sets do you have within that company? Do you already have some amazing content writers? So you don't really need someone necessarily who's an SEO who writes content or do they already have a, a development team that's used to working with SEOs actually covers the fundamentals quite well already and therefore you perhaps don't need um, a generalist technical SEO you actually need someone who's got specific experience in a particular uh, area it's it's something that I think companies fall short of occasionally when they're creating these kind of job ads or looking to fill roles is just being too broad and not looking at their own context um, and that's, for me, kind of the primary thing you should be doing when you're looking to hire is actually assessing what your company needs, because it's going to be completely different from the company that you used to work at or um, the company that you're competing against. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really important. And But let's assume that we kind of have understood that and we know who it is we want to hire. How would you go about the interview process? But in, in kind of two kind of ways of thinking about it like the first one in terms of the hiring managers and in terms of what they should for example list out or how to maybe structure a job description and the tasks that you might uh, send out to, to candidates but also on the flip side is if there is somebody who's looking to be applying like what kind of tips would you maybe have for SEOs who are trying to apply for these roles? Yeah, good questions. I think firstly, for hiring managers, you need to have done step one. So you really need to have understood what the skill set is that you're missing. And that needs to form the basis of your job ad. Um, and also to not be too, too specific, where you don't need to be specific. So actually, if you want someone who's got experience in your industry, do you really need someone who's got experience in your industry or do you need someone who has the experience in a similar type of industry? So actually someone who's been an SEO in B2B is sufficient. It doesn't need to be within your exact um, business software niche, for instance. Or do you need someone actually who's completely outside of your industry who can bring in uh, ideas and ways of working from other industries that are very different to yours? Just trying not to be too specific where you don't need to be specific, but being specific where you do need to be specific. So if you're actually looking for someone who's got um, uh, a history of working on websites that uh, operate on a JavaScript framework, maybe that is something that you need someone to have an experience in. So you need to specify that. But my concern with a lot of the job ads that we see these days is that they kind of put people off. Um, they'll list out a whole range of different tools that you must have experience in, whereas actually a lot of those tools operate very similarly. If you've used one keyword tracking tool, you can pretty much get along with all of them. So you don't necessarily need to specify the tool set that you have in-house. You can actually just say you need to be able to use keyword research tools or you need to be able to analyze log files, etc. And also to just think, 
can some of this be trained? Do the people need to come into this business already knowing this stuff? Or actually, do they just need a propensity to be able to do it, an aptitude for it, and you can train the rest? And I suppose second question being, if you're applying for those kind of roles, what do you need to know? And for me as a hiring manager, I just want people to apply if they have a hunger for it and they have some experience that would get them most of the way there for that role because they don't need to take every single box. And I think it's a bit naive of us sometimes as hiring managers to expect someone to come in ticking every single box. Um, and the risk is if they do tick every single box, where's their room for growth? You don't want to hire someone and six months later, they're bored of the role because they could do it in their sleep. Actually, finding a candidate who's got a little bit of stretch uh, in order to to tick every single box gives them something to be working towards. It gives you um, the ability to perhaps fine tune some of their skills or shape them to, to be able to work in the way that your company works. Whereas if you bring someone in who ticks every single box, chances are they're not going to have that room for development. That's going to be a real shame. So if you are thinking of applying for jobs, my advice would be apply. Um, if you have the time to do it, you have the desire to do it, don't let things like the job ads put you off um, unless it's something very specific, like you have to uh, be able to work in a specific country and you don't live in that country, for instance, and that's a blocker. That's something that's probably insurmountable. Um, but if it's around the skill set or the tools you've used or the specific experience that you've had, try not to let it put you off. Um, I think a lot of the time, those kind of job ads that are very, very specific where they don't need to be can actually stop a diverse candidate pool from applying. And that's a real shame. Um, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's one I've seen a few times now that would suggest that fewer women will apply for a role if they don't tick all of the boxes than men. And so if you have this really comprehensive job ad that lists out all of these different tools you need to have worked with or types of industries you need to have worked in or businesses you have to work for, then you might end up with fewer women applying because of the nature of them wanting to tick every box before they apply. So really advice for, for businesses is to really, really look at your job ads and make sure that they are fit for purpose. And advice for candidates is don't let them put you off. Yeah, 100%. I think that's so important to highlight, especially because, I mean, I've seen lots of different SEO role job descriptions. And a lot of them, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of cringe at a lot of them, to be honest, because, you know, especially if you're looking at some kind of entry level SEO position, right? And then it would say you need, you know, a few years experience, uh, a bachelor's degree, you need to understand automation with Python, all of these things that I and I don't know if in the minds of these businesses, they're like, okay, we'll put this there, because we want to get like this somehow magical unicorn person who's going to be applying for this role uh, and they think that the more complex things that they put in there the more that they'll try and maybe uh, adapt uh, the type of person who will who will be applying to this magical person that most likely doesn't exist and i feel like in terms of what you're saying there's potential if companies are doing this there's potential that a lot of actual great candidates who would make for amazing employees at that company aren't going to apply and they're not going to work for you because you've uh, fallen down the trap of trying to make everything a lot more complex than it really is. But um, I completely agree with what you were saying there, but from both sides uh, of, of the kind of whole concept of the interview process and how that uh, should kind of look like an interview tips. Um, I want to move this forward to actually managing a team. So assuming that we've hired uh, the people, 
we've got a team in place. What's the best way or in your experience, what is the best way of managing a team of SEOs? Probably to recognize that they're a team of people and they're a team of individuals that you may need to adapt your management style for based on their different ways that they work, the ways that they like to be managed, the things that they respond well to. Um, it's it's very easy for us as managers to just fall into the routine of doing the exact same thing for every single person that we manage. And there's some safety and some security in that because actually you're less likely to accidentally show some sort of um, favoritism to one type of person than you are to another. So there's that desire to kind of just do everything very formulaically. But these are people. <laughs> these are people that you're interacting with. You wouldn't treat every single one of your friends in the exact same manner. You, you tailor a conversation, you tailor your method of conversation, depending on who it's with. And as managers, I feel like we need to be doing that a bit more. That, um, For instance, some people absolutely love to have um, Zoom calls. They absolutely, um, if you're a remote worker in particular, you'll be used to having a lot of uh, Zoom calls or um, in order to have your kind of one-to-one -one meetings with your line manager. Other people absolutely hate that and they don't want to do that at all. And they'd much rather just check in on a, a weekly or a couple of times a week basis via a Slack message or something. And as managers, I think we need to recognise how people operate the best. Um, I always talk about my um, best hours for working are really early in the morning. Like I am, I am at my best um, mentally at like 7am. Um, so if you want me to, to come up with some great creative ideas or to be really able to just focus in the zone, 7am is the time to, to get me to do that. Other people just hate the idea of starting work that early and it would be the worst thing in the world. But I know for me, if I do nine till five, by four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, I'm my brain shut off. <laughs> I'm done. Um, and that's just one of the ways that people are very unique in their working styles. And as a manager, you need to be able to recognise that. So stop thinking of it as a team that you're managing and as a, a collective of, of individuals, of people that you're managing. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that whole concept of treating everyone as an individual and, and I suppose doing this early on, uh, so either if you're, let's say, building a team from scratch or you're inheriting a team, like as soon as you come in and you start to talk with um, the people who are working with you, like tell, like ask them questions, like how best would you prefer uh, to be managed? What's your best way of communicating? How best do you work? Because then I suppose you can tailor every single individual to be on course to producing their best work because that's how they're going to be the most comfortable because they are they know you know their strengths they also know their weaknesses a lot of the time so it's like if you're able to be transparent and really get the conversation going early on they like they'll absolutely love you as a manager because it's like you're treating them as if you know you really do care about them about their well-being about how they're they're working about their performance about their potential for growth and all of these things are critical especially if you want to be getting people to stay in your team for a long time. And I think that's absolutely crucial. Mm. You're treating them like adults. What a revolutionary idea in the workplace. <laughs> they are actually understanding that people know how to, to get the best from themselves and they know their, their strengths and their weaknesses. Yeah, it's, it's fundamental, but somewhere along the line, we've kind of fallen out of doing that and we need to yeah. get better at it, I think. Yeah, especially I think, and the issue... Uh, that might come about is uh, if it's let's say a well-established company that's been around for a long time they might have quite well, I, I don't want to say backwards ways of 
of kind of like these sorts of processes that might be hindering more than they help teams. So for example, if there is a kind of set process from upper management that says, okay, every manager needs to have a a weekly uh, 30-minute catch-up with each team member. And some places do that. And it's like, sure, I kind of understand why maybe they're like, okay, well, we want things to be structured. But then again, based off everything we're saying in, in the real world nowadays, it's not as simple as that because everyone is unique and we can't be treating everyone like they're going to be, you know, willing or or even motivated or even just them being able to perform their best if you are doing it like that and mm. kind of making everyone do the same thing. Yeah, and I think in those instances, you almost need to, I mean, you, you have to do what your, your business ultimately wants you to do, but I tend to take the essence, the spirit of what they're asking us to do. So if they're mandating a half hour uh, call every week to check in with your uh, line report, then what are they what are they after they're after frequent communication between you and your line report they're after you knowing what your line report is is working on and any struggles that they might be facing it's the communication the frequent communication they're after so whether you do that as a half an hour call once a week or two 15 minute calls during the week or via a slack message perhaps and that's the best way to have a conversation with your your team member I think it's about understanding what the essence of those those rules are. Someone's not getting in trouble for not doing it, of course. Um, but it's again, it's that thing about treating people like adults. Um, mm-hmm. And it, there there will be companies that have very very strict policies on how you go about that kind of thing. Um, but I, I think we need to to look at ways that we can improve that really uh, as an industry so that we don't lose good people from companies because if you're too rigid then the chances are that you might find people leave because of that exactly and and it's kind of similar i guess to when the pandemic started and people started working from home and there was a whole kind of stigma around it at the beginning because they're like oh no no way people could be efficient and uh work well if they're at home and then it's like well, they kind of had to do it. They were forced into doing that. But then they saw, oh, actually, this is still really viable. People are still producing great quality work. So it's one of those things where I feel like companies, I think they need to be a bit braver if they do have these kind of, you know, mandates, let's say, set in place. Um, But let's assume that, okay, it's all well and good. We've got a team. We're managing it well. How do you then go about scaling an SEO team? Like, what do you kind of look out for? What, What are some keys what are some like critical mistakes that that you've seen or or people can make when they're trying to scale teams i think the probably the biggest mistake is waiting until your team is at crisis point before you hire someone else in i've seen it happen before where the workload increases the workload increases we're not quite at the point financially where we can hire another person we just need the workload to increase a little bit more and then we can hire someone and your team breaks understandably because they're being put under too much pressure too much uh, is required of them and I think that's such a mistake you need to hire for the work that's going to be coming in uh, not necessarily wait for that work to come in and then then hire for it and if that means bringing temporary resource perhaps and you get someone in who's a part-time freelancer or you consider just hiring someone part-time for instance then that is a good way of kind of starting to scale the team without the team feeling that real pressure and that pinch um, and another thing that you need to consider is is yourself as a manager 
what's your capacity like? Because if your team increases, then are you going to be able to give each of them the same level of attention and support that they need? Or do you need to start finding other managers to manage alongside you or as your own line reports? And that's when you're starting to really scale the team up. And kind of a, a healthy way to, again, when you're in that between period of not really needing to hire another manager, but starting to feel the pressure yourself, is training up some of your team to take on a little bit of that responsibility and um, help them to become mentors or uh, to train people to to start buddying up with more junior inexperienced SEOs so that the pressure on you to be the source of all of that for a for your team is is less because actually they can start looking to their colleagues for support instead and I think that's so important even in small teams really especially when you're scaling yeah that's really really key there and I think uh, even when you're doing that directly or indirectly like either way, you're going to be improving the situation for everyone because it, it might free up some of your time, but also it makes other team members, especially if they're ones that are really proactive and they kind of like, you know that they want to progress in their career, they want to become managers. You're kind of giving them that that kind of helping hand into getting them one step closer to doing that and even them actually becoming managers. Um, yeah. But also, it, I suppose it also gives uh, more options and flexibility to your team because there might be team members who aren't quite there yet and that and that maybe they just enjoy doing the work. So, of course, you know, if they're under more stress, either bringing in somebody or at least helping them to be able to at least explain what they do to someone else, maybe teaching somebody else a new skill. Mm -hmm. And then you're, you've got such strong teamwork there that it's like your team becomes absolutely stellar at what they're doing because everyone's feeling motivated everyone feels like they're helping or they're getting help and um, they'll feel like there's a lot less pressure on them especially if there's you know workload increasing or you've got more projects on or more clients and things of that nature yeah definitely i think you touched on a really good point there that for some people progression in the company isn't about becoming a line manager there's a lot of companies that that is the only route to progress. You hit a certain point as an SEO, you may be made, I don't know, SEO director or something, and your next step has to be line management. Otherwise, they've got no roles for you. I think that's such a, a dangerous situation to be in because people don't necessarily want to line manage. It's a very different skill set, and it's not something everyone enjoys doing or really wants to try. But I think when you're scaling a team and you're perhaps giving people opportunities to pick up little aspects of being a line manager, you kind of allow them to have a bit of a taster of it do they enjoy mentoring do they enjoy coaching do they like training do they like having to um to talk in front of teams of people and if they don't then maybe line management isn't something they want to explore any further but they you almost don't necessarily get a chance to dip your toe in line management until you've become a line manager and it's a bit too late by then but we really need to look at ways that we can help people who don't want to be line managers to still feel that sense of progression that they are able to continue to grow within their role, continue to grow within their autonomy, their authority, their responsibility without having to take on that line management part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And that, again, it comes back to the beginning of like when you are getting introduced with your team members, having those conversations and getting to know you know, who they are as a person, what they value, what is it they want to achieve. And all of that will fit in. So later down the line, when it does come to if you're trying to scale your SEO team, then you already know what each individual wants. And you can check with them. It's like, hey, when you know, when we started, um, you told me X, Y, and Z, is this still the case? Or has anything changed? And that approach, I think will will get, you know, your team members to be completely open uh, and upfront 
and honest. And I think that's absolutely the best scenario that you can have. Uh, but let's say, okay, so we've scaled up and that's great. Now, something that I want to ask you um, to kind of end uh, this uh, conversation, uh, which honestly has been absolutely fantastic, by the way. So I, I'm thanking you in advance uh, and now as well for, for sharing so many great insights. Um, what would you say is better? And, and I'm kind of using that word loosely, uh, but let's say between building an SEO team from scratch or inheriting an already established SEO team, what would you say is better, easier, maybe less kind of headaches or I don't know, what's your take on that? Oh, I think they both have their challenges and their benefits, really. Um, when you inherit a team, you inherit a, a team of people who've worked together for some time, who've worked within the business and understand that. They understand the industry. They understand the competitors. They understand the history of the website. You're the one who's kind of parachuting into what is home for them. So you're inheriting a group of people who hopefully are already a fairly well-oiled machine working together. Um, the downside of that, though, is that you are the one who is having to come in and perhaps look at their current ways of working and maybe change those to make them more efficient. Um, you may be looking at um, existing strategies and changing those. You may be treading on some toes, actually. There may well have been someone who was gunning for the management role who didn't get it for whatever reason, and you did. And that's, again, its own set of complexities navigating that as a manager. Whereas if you are building a team from scratch, you don't have any of that. You can pick the exact right skill set for the strategy that you've created. You can bring in people who you 100% think, yes, you are the right person for this role. The downside to that is how are they going to work together as a team? Are they going to be any good? Do they like the company? Are they going to leave in three months because actually they don't like the general the HR policies or they don't like uh, the industry itself and there's always going to be that bedding in period for any new person who joins so if you're building a team not only are you potentially new to the company you're bringing in a lot of other people who are new and somehow I've got to get them all working together and, and gelling well as a team so I don't think there's a right or better way of doing it but it's about understanding where your appetite is what do you enjoy doing do you love the challenge of bringing a whole group of people who've never worked together before into the mix together and getting them to perform and to to enjoy their job or do you actually really like the challenge of joining a group of people who have already been working together for a long time and potentially making them even better so yeah what do you like doing i guess is the is the answer to that mm -hmm. no that's that's great because i feel like it really shows that there is no right or wrong in this i think it's all just down to the individual like you've said and how best do you feel that you can make an impact and some people yeah like you're saying some people might think that okay well i i know exactly who i want to hire i want to set up a team from scratch and there's other people who might you know they might be in let's say you're inheriting a team but maybe you've worked for a similar type of company so you can at least share new ideas and talk to people there and and help really build up that rapport even if it might feel like you're kind of like an outsider who's just come in um, but yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And I think, yeah, we can wrap this up. Helen, thanks so much for sharing your insights um, about managing SEO teams. Where can people find you if they want to ask any questions or hear more about all of the uh, knowledge that, that you have at your disposal? Oh, I mean, that was it. That was all of the knowledge that I have. We've just covered it in ah, the past come on. 30 minutes. Um, but if you're really desperate uh, for whatever nuggets of information I might have left, um, you can find me on Twitter at Helen Pollitt one There's a lot of L's and T's in that name, so you may or may not be able to find me. Or look for me on LinkedIn. Um, happy to connect there. 
And yes, feel free to ask any questions and I may even be able to answer some. Who knows? <laughs> oh, Helen, so modest. But yeah, thank you so much uh, for joining me on the SEO Unplugged podcast. And thanks to all the listeners out there as well. And we'll catch you in the next episode.